Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, this is Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of, and I'm here with Liz in a wrap-up session. Um, Liz and I spoke um, several months ago about how her OCD was going and her treatment went in general. So Liz, thanks for coming back. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, So can you tell us how you've been in the last several months? Yeah, so um, last several months have been really interesting. Uh, the last two months, I think in particular, where where I live have been particularly rough, but in a way that I think everybody is experiencing different things to do with that. Um, from uh, the perspective of what we talk about uh, and what we work on, I'm really glad still that I uh, started therapy before the world happened before 2020 happened um i I, it's interesting because i think back to when i started going to therapy um and i'm looking back at it now and i i'm realizing how much more of a crisis i was in than i think i even knew at the time um and there were some really urgent things uh that i wasn't able to do or where my life was impacted. Um, it's funny because I still think, yeah, yeah, there was a lot in my, um, I was losing my weekends, I think, to OCD. Uh, so, so I talked in the podcast, I think about laundry as a, as a thing for me. Um, and, and I would truly lose a whole day to, to, to spiraling about this. Um, it was impacting my personal relationships too. Um, I was really encouraged to go and supported to go to therapy by a few different people in my life who knew what was going on. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I at the time I thought, I oh, I'll go to therapy a few times. I was really interested in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy based on the recommendation of friends who work in healthcare. Um, cause I thought this isn't a long term thing. I'll learn a few strategies to distract myself from, from these like anxiety spirals that I knew I was experiencing. Um, uh, and it was just a few sessions in, um, that, that the therapist I was speaking to then who eventually referred me to you, um, who said, um, kind of started, started 
circling around how compulsive my behavior was. Um, and that, in fact, I think the distractions I was looking for probably would have if become <laughs> compulsive behavior if, if OCD hadn't been kind of identified as, as the root of the, of the anxiety. Um, so yeah, so I thought at the time, I know that I, my life is being impacted. I'm losing days of my weekend to this. Uh, it's impacting my relationships. Um, I'll learn some coping, some coping techniques and then I'll be done. It's not really what happened. And I'm glad that's not what happened. <laughs> um, so, so that's where looking back, I had those urgent things to, to deal with. And, and I'm feeling still, I think I talked about this when we talked for the podcast last time, but I'm still feeling really good um, about kind of like lower anxiety levels. I don't feel like I'm in crisis anymore. Uh, for a while, it felt like a little roller coaster, like I would have a good week and a bad week and a good week and a bad week. Um, and I feel like things have evened out for me. I feel like I've, I've learned when to, I've learned how to notice. For me, that was the, the biggest thing of learning when to notice that kind of thing was happening. Um, but now, over the last couple of months, I, um, I pro you know, actually working, being able to work from home, being lucky enough to work from home over the last couple of months um, probably has, has played a part in this too, where um, I do feel like things have evened out and I feel like the urgent life blocking, you know, anxiety spirals and compulsive behavior that I was experiencing and, you know, still do experience sometimes have evened out. And I'm starting to notice um, some other places that OCD is impacting my life, um, whether that's my job uh, and some ways, some dynamics in uh, my relationships with people around me um, that are less obvious, like less obviously OCD, less obviously compulsive, um, and uh, a little bit more pernicious <laughs> maybe for that and, and harder to spot and harder to notice. Um, and if it's not, I'm not losing, a, you know, a whole weekend day to, to spiraling about laundry, like that's a pretty obvious example of OCD. Um, but when it's something that's really tied up in my feelings of over-responsibility, um, you know, the urgent feeling that I might get, uh, based on a conversation with uh, somebody in my life, feelings of uncertainty, all of those are harder to, to notice. And um, so, so yeah, but I'm glad I think it took, it took, it took a lot of work to get here to be able to, to find that there, there is yet another layer of the OCD, if that makes sense. Yeah, and so I would love to talk more about that layer, but before we go there, some people find it discouraging that um, therapy can take a while, and particularly CBT, which is often framed up as a six to eight week um, uh, project, you could say. Um, they can sometimes feel discouraged if it takes longer for than that amount of time to get relief. So can you say a little bit about how you've changed your thinking around that? Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I definitely actually, I did feel that, that discouragement, um, probably about six to eight weeks in when I, it kind of clicked. Um, and when OCD started being brought up, uh, and I can, 
it, I actually think that did for a while probably feed in to the OCD a little bit too. Like I, it was coming up in when I was having those anxiety spirals on a bad week, like I said before the roller coaster. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you be I, a little bit more specific actually when you'd have a good week and then a bad week, what do you think was happening mm-hmm. looking back on it? Um, something that was coming up was I was thinking like, this is it, this is it forever. I, I'm never going to be better. Um, I'm always going to have these feelings. I'm not going to be able to escape them. I think the, there was a real, and if you think about how much of my, my compulsions in particular, like maybe this is everybody with OCD, but I'm not sure. But a lot of my life was spent avoiding those feelings. Um, and I couldn't anymore. Like the whole point of this is to to confront them, to to lean into them, to embrace them, to acknowledge how I'm feeling. And, and um, for me, also build compassion for myself uh, that I have them. And at first, I mean, for a long time, probably for six months, maybe longer, um, uh, that that compassion was not there. And, and, and that's where I, in a bad week, I think that's what, what drove the bad week. And, and that's what drove when, you know, when it's coming up, like, uh, this is always going to be here. I'm always going to be like this. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, like self-loathing kind of wrapped into that. And, and, um, yeah, the lack of compassion for myself is where I was seeing that in particular. I know that was really painful for you. Can you talk a little bit more about how you got through it and how you changed your perspective on yourself? Yeah. Um, I think again, it, it was fine. That was, it, that's its own layer of the OCD and, and kind of finding that consistently at the root of, of everything. So it, for me, I think it, it started by noticing the, the symptoms and, and the lost day and the compulsive behavior. And um, it took a lot of work with you to, to start noticing and realizing that like what was driving each of those, each of those symptoms. And then, and realizing that it's not just the, the content areas um, that kind of getting to, towards the, the root of those, of those feelings. Yeah, and just that to a little bit, yeah, to be a little bit more specific or to give the listener kind of an example, it would be something like, um, what if I did the laundry wrong? Would that, is that a good example of a, um, what, what would the intrusive thought be? Um, uh, the intrusive thought about the, about laundry would be, yeah, what if I did it wrong? What if it takes up my whole day? Um, I, I don't have like laundry in unit, so it can take up a whole day, but, but I would, it would be, uh, I'm going to let somebody down. Um, I'm not, and I'm not going to have time to do, to do whatever it is I need to do to feel okay about my relationships work tomorrow. It would be a, kind of all, all around letting people down. Okay, great. So having the intrusive thought, like, what if I do this wrong or what if I don't have time, um, arrives with a whoosh and it feels important because of your underlying belief about inflated responsibility that having a thought means that it's important and that you should do something about it. And particularly if you have thoughts about how you might, your behavior impacts other people's behavior, then you have to do whatever it takes to ensure that you're not doing something that could potentially disappoint them, let them down, give you the feeling of guilt. And so it wasn't just 
the trigger, which the, the trigger in this case is the laundry. The intrusive thought in this case is what if I do something wrong? The feeling is uncertainty and anxiety and guilt. And then the belief that maintains it is inflated responsibility. And so basically, as you learn to observe that you had that trigger, that that, that trigger often gave you the urge to check and recheck or do it again, uh, or like over plan the timing of that day, mm -hmm. then the more that you over planned the timing of the day, the more it reinforced the idea that you might disappoint someone, the more intrusive the th thoughts became and the more intense the uncertainty was. Mm -hmm. Does that map onto your experience? Yep, maps pretty exactly. And then, you know, I could see the people around me uh, who like couldn't really understand that, that's, that cycle and that spiral and they would offer to help and it would just, you know, drive me into it further. <laughs> Okay, and then so in your recovery, again, you learn to observe what the trigger was, observe what your belief was, challenge that belief, and then um, um, do the opposite of the compulsive behavior. So instead of over planning your day, what kinds of things did you do to challenge your inflated responsibility? Um, I tried doing laundry different times of the week. Um, if I thought about it. Like if I noticed that I had to do laundry, I would think like, why not just do it right now? Um, and I wouldn't check. I wouldn't go down and check to see if the laundry room was busy because, you know, maybe it may not be and that's okay. Um, uh, so yeah, I let go of this, like the schedule and the routine and the having to do it at a certain time. Um, and also uh, I like <laughs> It was such a, a weird moment for me when you, I think you said like, laundry just sucks. Like nobody likes doing it. <laughs> it's not good. You're going to, you're not going to like feel good about doing laundry ever. And, and that's when I kind of realized I was ch like chasing like a, a perfect feeling about doing, about doing laundry. And, and I was so anxious about being anxious um, that, that there was like a whole emotional component wrapped up in it. Um, uh, yeah, and that was a moment too where I was like, oh yeah, like, you know, this just sucks and it will take up, it could take up a whole day and that sucks too and 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 that's okay. So there was a lot of like, and that's okay that I started um, saying first about kind of like the situation and then and then about how I was feeling and, and about myself. Great. And so just to summarize um, the process that most people experiencing anxiety and OCD go through, that can take a variety of um, the, the amount of time that it takes varies uh, person to person. But first, we've got to get a good, if it's avoidance that creates, maintains, and intensifies the anxiety, then we've got to get a good sense of like, what are you triggered by? What, do you, what kind of thoughts do you have and what are you doing in response? And as we're mapping that out, then we start to uncover what beliefs maintain it. And there's a handful of beliefs that are common among the anxiety disorders. So they're relatively easy to spot once we're looking in the right spot for them. And then sometimes that takes a while to challenge. So for instance, inflated responsibility, having um, feeling a lot of responsibility for people in a lot of different areas of your life can take a long time to learn to challenge and relate to effectively. Um, as you may notice that even though you were able to challenge that in maybe personal areas of your life, there's still moments at work where you'll feel some inflated responsibility and there's still opportunity to relate more effectively. But just mm -hmm. back to the process, typically we look at the, um, 
areas of stuckness that take up the most time or cause you the most distress first. And so we can get some early wins there. But um, then we also have to, um, we're up against kind of how you're relating to yourself. So Liz, you're making a great point that um, having a lot of shame about experiencing distress, having um, anxious thoughts or having anxious sensations or any other feelings that come with your anxiety disorder can often take a while to have compassion towards. And because you're not gonna be able to relate effectively first time, every time, then it's as soon as you have enough education to understand the patterns, then you're often gonna feel frustrated when you know what's happening, but you maybe still get stuck and don't know what to do differently. And so many people are prone to shame and guilt at that time. And a big part of um, therapy is having compassion and self-forgiveness for your own learning process. And that can take um, a varied amount of time for different people. Also, if you have a component of depression that's comorbid with your anxiety disorder, you also we also have to manage um, the depression that shows up in the presence of doing exposure work, uh, which can take some more time. And then finally, um, looking at the more subtle and pernicious, as you said, which I really like, parts of OCD maybe don't cause you um, clinically significant distress. So they might not be the reasons that you'd come into therapy in the first place. But once you're in therapy, from my perspective, it's really a gift to yourself to continue to work on those um, more subtle parts of your life. Because once you start seeing the patterns and you apply them in every area of your life, you just get more and more freedom to live according to your values and to get less stuck in your mind and in your behavior less often. Um, do you have thoughts about that, Liz? Yeah, I, I um, that really resonates with me. I, I feel like this, the stuff that I'm working on now, I really like framing it as a gift. And, and I think that's recently how you framed it up to me too. I was, I was feeling a little down about some of the stuff I've been working through recently, like, uh, uh, in, in my relationships and, and in work and, um, uh, you, you framed it up really nicely for me. I think you said something like, you know, it, you're, it sounds like your, your anxiety levels are really low right now. Like the, the day-to-day stuff that we've, that we've been talking about, like the more urgent stuff is, is I'm, I'm doing really well with, and it, and it has opened up the opportunity to, 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 um, look at, you know, other, other areas in my life that, that, I didn't even really realize we're being, we're being impacted. And, and that was a great um, feeling for me too, because it, it framed it in a way where I like felt proud of the work that, that I've been doing, I guess, you know, to the point of the podcast, <laughs> um, yeah. I felt proud of myself and I felt it. Uh, yeah. I think thinking about it as a, as a gift and an opportunity is a great way to think about it. Okay. So in keeping that going, do you want to be more specific about how you see inflated responsibility showing up at work? Yeah, so um, I am a people manager, and so you know, in a lot of ways, I am responsible for for other people at at work. But um, uh, dealing with untangling um, uh, those feelings has been um, harder because it's less urgent, and um, there is like a kernel of, or quite a big kernel of, of truth to, to those feelings. I don't feel like they're irrational feelings always, but they can go too far. Um, so 
um, and they're harder to notice. Um, where what I've started to 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 notice them, and this is again like where working from home has actually kind of been great. Uh, it's a good opportunity and timing wise uh, where where I'm at. Um, the work I've been doing with you is, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at home in, in my, my bedroom where my desk is crammed into a corner. And, and if I can feel when, like, I can't sit still, I, I want to walk away from my, from my computer. Um, and, and I can do that because I'm not sitting in the office, you know, surrounded by the people that I feel this sense of over-responsibility for. Um, so it is helping me notice when, when those feelings are coming up. And then something else that I've been starting to do at work, um, and it's something that, that is something that I've always kind of like meant to do. And I've always known that it, that it helps me do it, but I don't know if I just didn't have the opportunity to do it before, or if I was maybe avoiding it. Um, cause it does really force you to like think through how you're feeling and lean into how you're feeling is I've been um, journaling when those, when those feelings hit me. Um, and I've really noticed that I'm using it a lot at, at work. I've got like, I've got like my work notebook next to me on my desk. And I've also got what I call, I've decided to call like my processing feelings notebook. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And, and what is, uh, when you're saying that it might've been avoidance before to not do journaling, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. recognize that, that it seems like journaling might be helpful, but maybe they're not sure, or it, it does, there's some kind of aversion to it. So can you speak to your process about that? What was aversive about it? Why'd you get started? What does it feel like now? Yeah, so journaling is something that I, I did as a kid um, whenever I was feeling upset, like all the way through high school even, I would like just, you know, like if I had that, those, those, that whoosh of feeling that you talked about earlier, um, I would write it, write it down, and I would feel calmer pretty much every time I would would handle it. Um, and that's just something I would do as a kid. I wrote a lot, so it was natural. And then I stopped doing it, and I, I got caught up in this feeling of should. Like I, I know I should be journaling, and I, I, I know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it just felt uh, like an obligation. Um, and I think that it, that was driven by, like you said, avoidance, um, avoiding those feelings that I would have to put down to, to paper. So I do think it actually took uh, uh, those, the, the more urgent feelings to, to kind of steady out a little bit for me to, 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 to start doing it. Um, but also a lot of it was habit building. So I think the halfway step was using an app that you suggested to me that I think I talked about on the last podcast, um, where I was, where you kind of like give yourself points and you can log exposures. But how I mostly used it was whenever um, I would like noticed a feeling and I, um, regardless of how I responded to it, like I was kind of like, giving myself a point for, for noticing that feeling to start with. And I feel like that was kind of like the gateway, the gateway to journaling. Um, because, uh, uh, yeah, it's that first little step of like embracing that, that feeling and being okay with having that, that, that whoosh, that initial whoosh. And even noticing it in the moment, 
it helped you notice in the beginning and then mm -hmm. also allowing it to be there. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I stopped using that app so much in, and now I'm um, writing things down in the journal. It helped to like pick a journal and name it. There's, I, I mean, I know a ton of people have this where like you want things to be perfect. I think that maybe it ties into journaling too. And, and with writing, just kind of creating like the, the blank page. And I know that's not, that's something that is a pretty universal experience. I don't think that's just OCD, but certainly I think it played into it for me where um, I don't want to like, I want it, I want it to be perfect. And I, anything I, I, I write. Um, and that's, you know, what I'm feeling at work too. I want the work I do to be perfect and, and, um, I don't want to let people down about it. So um, it was kind of a, that was kind of a blocker as well. So um, opening up a journal, I skipped past the first page because it was too like intimidating to make it perfect. I don't know why that's ha that happened. And then I like wrote in like really messy handwriting, the processing feelings journal and just starting that. Um, I, what we've done, what you, what we've done a lot of is like, when I would get stuck in the evening before work, you know, I, I couldn't get ready for bed because I, I was too anxious. Um, what you said was like, just take a step. And that's what it felt like with the journal. I was just taking a step by writing like messily on the second page, the name of what I wanted to accomplish with the journal. Thank you for sharing all that. All of those are really great steps and they're really, I think, relevant for anybody that's having perfection, either aversion or perfectionism around getting started and looking at your mind. I think uh, and observing your mind with a friendly and um, kind attitude. Um, I think the same can be say, said for, for mindfulness, but from my perspective, journaling is a mindful activity. And if it feels too uh, aversive to, um, sit quietly with your thoughts and or if not aversive then then boring or you get too caught in your thoughts um so it's not it's not a place that you can come back to where you feel grounded but rather you just have more and more thoughts um, i think journaling can be really effective in its own right so everything you're saying i totally agree with and also journaling can be a gateway to to mindfulness and meditation. Um, mm. So that's another way to think about it too. Do you have any thoughts about that? That's something that is another, it feels like it has been like a should, like I should meditate. Everyone talks about how beneficial it is and I'm not there yet, but maybe one day I had thought, hadn't thought about journaling as a gateway to meditation, but I like it. Yeah, and I appreciate what you're saying about, I, I also think pretty much everybody that suffers from anxiety has heard about mindfulness and knows that they should do it. Um, so what you're, what we mean by that is any amount of observing yourself and practicing a friendly and compassionate attitude is going to help you um, notice your triggers, notice your thoughts, notice what you're doing in response and have more options for what to do um, differently. So really anything you can do to take that stance is totally good enough and you should, ex you should meet yourself exactly where you are. And mm -hmm. so Liz, I think you did a great job turning into like personifying it and turning it into a game first. And mm -hmm. that helped you, um, just again, like notice the moment it was happening. And I think also the therapy process, as you're describing one of the main 
um, roles of therapy is when it's hard to observe your own experience on your own, then the therapist can help you identify moments in your life where you're getting stuck and what's happening when you're getting stuck. And like, you don't have to be doing that alone. You could do that in an individual session or in a group session. It's a time again, when it feels too, either you don't know what to do or you feel too critical to observe what's happening in a way that you can then develop new ways of responding, then bring that experience to therapy. And then the therapy process can help you in that way. Um, and then again, like um, apps and journaling and mindfulness can also serve all the same purposes. Um, mm -hmm. any, any other thoughts about that? Um, um, I think that, that another factor of the journaling that has helped is I, um, uh, I didn't go into it when I was able to start doing it at part, maybe I was able to start doing it partially because I wasn't expecting, um, to feel my expectations were different when I was journaling. I wasn't ex using it to, to, to avoid, and I wasn't expecting to, to feel better at the end of it. My goal was just to write a page down, um, and, and see where I was at, at the end of it. Um, and by the time I had written a page, um, in this small journal, it's not a huge page. Um, by the time I had written a page, I did feel better, but I think that's probably part of the should too, which is that I, before it like too much was writing on it. Like if I, what happens if I, I write, I journal and I don't feel better um, and I don't feel great about journaling. Um, again, kind of similar to, to, to laundry, like I'm not gonna feel great about doing laundry. Um, and I'm having this whoosh of emotions, letting myself feel like it's okay to, to not feel great in this moment. Um, and then it had, you know, luckily enough, it has helped. Just journaling has helped, but um, I, I kind of like eased up expectations on ultimately myself and what the tools I have available to me are. Um, and I think that helped me uh, embrace those emotions as well. Yeah. Can you say more about what you think happened that helped you t turn that should into like, it's okay that this is whatever I think or feel is, is okay. Um, yeah, I think it started a long time ago. Really. If I look back to like the tools that I, I feel like I'm drawing on, um, now, which is, I have been saying to myself, uh, like, like I said earlier, and that's okay for a long time now when, when I'm noticing. So there was, there's the noticing the feeling, um, and it is really easy to become overwhelmed by that feeling. And for that, that, that experience to kind of become its own thing, its own spiral, but, but noticing the feeling and having the ability and having the app to start with, to, to put it in kind of flipped it to a moment that I, that I like felt proud of noticing that feeling as opposed to feeling shame about having that feeling. Um, before the app, it was, I would have the feeling and I would actually say out loud, like I'm having this feeling and it is okay um, to have that feeling. So I think I went from like saying, and it is okay to have that feeling to putting it in the app and, and actually feeling proud about having that feeling to, um, um, 
having that space, I'm, I'm doing it privately now. Like I said before, I'm in my, in my room. I'm not, I'm not at work in front of other people. So that uh, honestly has helped, has helped a lot because I can do it immediately when I'm noticing it. I don't have to like come back to it later. Um, but I, yeah, I think it was that progression of like actually saying out loud and it's okay to putting an app and feeling proud about it to um, being, I feel like journaling is like the ne- the next evolution of that where I'm, I'm sitting with it um, a little bit more, more fully and, and more than just the app where it's like, I notice it and I log it and I get a point for it. And I feel proud for getting that point and for noticing it. I, I am, like I said, it's the processing feelings journal. So I think that I am able to sit with it even further where I can think through some of the dynamics that are driving that feeling a little bit more, but I have to give myself that time and space to do it. Um, because uh, it is is harder and it does take a little bit more time and it's uncomfortable to do in front of other people. Yeah, yeah. and I imagine j- rather than just I'm noticing something uncomfortable, uh, you're probably pr- noticing nuance. So you're feeling mm-hmm. uncertain, but you're maybe also feeling guilt and shame. You're also feeling anger and resentment. Um, you you realize like maybe some of the feelings that you're having are coming from other people. They're not just your own feelings. So all of that is a really big opportunity when you're writing things out, particularly on a regular basis, you can see patterns over time and it more quickly can be like, oh, whenever I'm in this meeting, I always feel this kind of way. Um, So that's really great. Do you want to comment on that at all? Um, yeah, I go, I go pretty quickly for, it's not, you know, I'm right. If I'm writing a whole page, there's not really like a ton to say beyond like, I'm feeling bad about, and this is what triggered it. <laughs> so it, it, it does uh, give myself the opportunity to, with the journaling to like go a couple of steps, a couple of steps further to, to, to think about like why I'm feeling like that. Yeah. To your point patterns, uh, when, when I frequently feel like this, um, there's a lot of writing like and it's okay that I'm feeling like this to myself in the journal. Um, yeah. And, and noticing those patterns has been really helpful. Okay, great. Well, all of this is really helpful, I think, to our listeners. So thank you so much for sharing everything. Was there anything else that's happened over the last several months or that you wanted to share? Um, I don't think so. Okay. That's great. Well, thanks again for being here. Um, and we wish you all the best. Thank you, you too. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.